Heavenly Father, as we come again to your word, we pray that you would help us to come expectantly and reverently and humbly. And we pray that by your Holy Spirit you would speak to us, instruct us and and challenge us, um, encourage us and equip us, we pray, for the work that you've called us to do. And I pray that you would use this word uh, in our lives today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Psalm 46, to the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. Did you know those those words that I've got in the ESV, they're written in capitals. Um, they're actually a part of the psalm. In the Hebrew text, they're actually they're verse 1. Uh, above that in my Bible, in italics, I've got God is our fortress. That's been added by the editors of the Bible. Uh, it's not actually a part of the, the text. Uh, but the, the headings are sometimes very useful in helping us work out uh, what what this uh, the background of the psalm and so on, but th- this is obviously a song to the choir master of the sons of Korah. They're the people that wrote it, according to Alamoth, which seems to be a musical term, uh, and it's a song. There we go. So let's read it. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. (coughs) Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Well, it's a pretty famous psalm. Um, It's a very popular psalm. It's one that uh, lots of people, uh, if if asked what their favourite psalm is, I dare say there'd be quite a few that would nominate that one. But this, um, over the next few weeks, over the summer, we're going to be looking at some passages that are perhaps often misunderstood. or misused and this is one of them uh, be still and know that I am God now I googled it when I was getting ready for this and when you put things into google images you see how these ideas are used pretty commonly uh, I was in Kurong Books the other day and uh, the, the Kurong Bookshop in Melbourne has an expanding Christian merchandise section uh, my uncle told me some years ago he took an interest in Christian bookshops and things like that and he said a lot of Christian bookshops make more out of selling cups and mugs and placemats and posters and pictures and, and tea towels than they do from books. And if Kurong's anything to go by, they're starting to go a bit the same way. And so this is the kind of verse that you'll find uh, cross-stitched in beautiful pictures on walls or with flowers and butterflies. 
Uh, it's a little bit like, um, you know that, that poem, you're nearer God's heart in a garden than anywhere else on earth? Have you heard that one? You can buy that at the nursery. You know, you'll find these little concrete plaques. And the kiss of the sun for Baden, the the, uh, the song of the birds for mirth, you're nearer God's heart in a garden than anywhere else on earth. And we all go, oh, isn't that lovely? Uh, my great favourite commentator, Alec Matias, says you're nearer God's heart in an earthquake than anywhere else on earth, right? Um, earthquakes? Butterflies, gardens, all part of nature. Yeah. Um, is there any place that we can go that we're not near to the heart of God? No, even in an earthquake, as we'll see, right? But be still and know that I am God is not the Christian equivalent of don't worry, be happy. Right? It's not this chill out verse. So when I've looked at the pictures on Google Images, you'll see people sitting at the end of a jetty in front of a calm lake with not another soul around and they're sitting there like this, be still and know that I am God. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean chill out. It doesn't mean, you know, relax. It doesn't mean be, you know, just bliss. Uh, This is a word that speaks to the faithful in the heart of conflict, in the heart of things that so distress them that their hearts might fail. Now, I was reading the Weekend Australian this weekend and they had an article, a very interesting one. Have you noticed that there's there's extraordinary things happening in the world at the moment? Do some of those extraordinary things happening in the world ever make you feel fearful? Right? Well, this is a psalm for you today. Now, I I listen to podcasts on the way backwards and forwards from MAFRA. I get all sorts of interesting information and I've listened to a couple lately where the interviewer has asked a historian, tell us what our historical moment is like. And a few of them have said, the conditions in the world are very, very similar now to what they were before the Second World War. Now, these are serious historians, not conspiracy theorists, they're serious historians who know about the past and can analyse the present in light of the past. And so they're saying the conflict in Ukraine, the conflict in the Middle East and the potential for China to make a claim on Taiwan, they've said they're going to. These people have been saying all of those conflicts could link into another world war. They could. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not equipped to say they will. So one of my favourite commentators, a man called Peter Hitchens, I saw an interview with him while I was getting over my COVID and the interviewer said how do you see Ukraine playing out he said how would I know they said how would you how do you see the Middle East playing it he said how would I know he can he said I can tell you what's happening now but I don't know where it's going to go nor do I and nor do you but are we going to give in to fear now we keep hearing about the cost of living crisis are we scared right what what happens if our superannuation funds invest badly are we going to be fearful well it's it's going to be hard not to be a little bit anxious about that but the bible says be still and know that i am god and so we need to take that seriously now i was reading in the weekend australian um, there's a trend apparently i don't know if it's caught on worldwide but certainly some of the richest people in america are equipping themselves providing for themselves in the advent of environmental catastrophe or nuclear war so the founder of facebook mark zuckerberg has bought for himself a block of land in hawaii for 170 million dollars 
And according to the reports in The Australian, he's building on it a mansion. In fact, two mansions. The cost of the building is, is estimated to be $100 million. He has committed everybody working on that project to such secrecy that if, word, if he can say words got out and it was you, then they're sacked immediately. Um, but he's doing this in the event of nuclear or climate-induced Armageddon. More than a dozen buildings, 30 bedrooms, 30 bathrooms. Wouldn't we all? Right? That's how he's equipping himself for the challenges that are facing the world at the moment. But what do the rest of us muck punters do who just don't have that kind of coin? Right? If you can't even afford a holiday house at Phillip Island, what are you, you, know, you going to do? Let's read Psalm 46. Well, we have read Psalm 46 and, it, and we, need to, we need to work our way through it. Now, there's some background to this. Uh, we're not entirely certain, but there seems a very strong likelihood that this psalm was written because of a particular historical circumstance. Now, let's find out what that could have been. Go back to the book of Second Kings. So earlier into the Old Testament, uh, in the, uh, the history parts of the Old Testament. So sec- keep, keep your finger in uh, Psalm 46 because we'll need to come back to it. But Second Kings uh, chapter 18... Now the context for this is that God has been warning his people for generations that they need to live by his law and if they don't, he will punish them. We've seen that as we've preached through Isaiah in recent times. Uh, But Assyria was the great world power uh, on the outer eastern borders of Israel's territory and they'd conquered an awful lot of land. And at the time that these words were written, they'd come in and conquered the northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, and so the southern kingdom, this is after the kings and kingdoms had divided, the southern kingdom was still there, like uh, centred in Jerusalem, but the northern kingdom of Samaria had been destroyed. So Second Kings chapter 18, verse 13. <coughs> in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. So he's finished with Samaria, they've been knocked out, now he's going to go on Judah. And Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria at Lachish, saying, I have done wrong. Withdraw from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will bear. So he says, sorry, uh, I shouldn't have made a treaty with Egypt. Uh, I realise that I've done a very bad and silly thing, so therefore tell me how much I'll pay and we'll be good people from now on. Well, the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, says, all right, you can pay me in silver and gold. So the verses that follow tell us that he, he demanded 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. Now, a talent is 34 kilograms, so I'll save you doing the sums. That's about 10 tonnes of silver and one tonne of gold. And so Hezekiah went and stripped the, the, the gold and the silver from the temple and other places to pay this extraordinary and exorbitant sum that, that Sennacherib wanted from him. Down to chapter 19, verse 9. Eventually, that wasn't enough, and so Sennacherib sent a military force, uh, and they came right to the very walls of Jerusalem. And so in, in verse 9, chapter 19, verse 9, so Sennacherib sent messengers again to Hezekiah, saying, Thus shall you speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah. Do not let your God, in whom you trust, deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands, devoting them to destruction. And shall you be delivered? So in other words, they're taunting them. They're saying, 
your God's not as good as our God, we will give you a whipping like we've done to every other city that we've conquered. So don't go thinking your God's going to protect you. And so verses 12 to 13, there's a list of all of the defeated kings. Then in verses 14 to 19, Hezekiah prays one of the great prayers of the Bible. Right, Isaiah comes to him and he tells him the news and Hezekiah prays. Right, And so the answer to the prayer comes, verses 20 to 21. Isaiah the son of Amos sent to Hezekiah saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, your prayer, to me about, your prayer to me about Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. This is the word that the Lord has spoken concerning him. So down to verse 32. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into the city or shoot an arrow there or come before it with a shield or cast up a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same he shall return. And he shall not come into this city, declares the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. And that night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went home and lived at Nineveh. And he, he, as he was worshipping in the house of Nisroch, his god Adramalak and Shereza, his son, struck him down with the sword and escaped into the land of Ararat. And as Haradon, his son, reigned in his place. The book of Proverbs tells us the king's heart is a, is a stream of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Who's in charge? Who, who's in charge? God is. Do we believe that? He's in charge of your circumstances too. That's the consistent message of the Bible. Now, we can't be sure, but it does seem that there's real parallels between that historical account and the poem or song that we read in Psalm 46. Let's see what they are. So back to Psalm 46. Verses 1 to 7 uh, really contain the psalm's proposition. Uh, God's people need not fear in the chaos of creation and the nations. So verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Now refuge is a lovely word, Uh, it means a secure place, it means a safe place, a place that you can take shelter when danger comes on you. So God is our refuge, but he's more than that, he's our strength. So refuge is an external thing, you run into a refuge, we can find that God is our safe place when life is very, very dangerous. But he's also our strength, which is an internal thing. He will give us the dynamism, the power, the energy that we need to stand up against the challenges when they come. So God is our refuge. He's outside and we can run to him. He's our strength. He's inside and he will empower us. He's our very present help, which means he gives us the help that we need for the things that we can't do when we're unaided. Uh, This is a word that means that he is constantly available and always reliable. What else in life can you rely on unfailingly? Not much, nothing really. But God is a very present help. In other words, he's right there at the right time when you need him. So God is for us, he's with us and he's in us, therefore... That's, that's the, the opening statement of the whole thing and now we, we, we apply that. Therefore, we will not fear. 
And so there's four examples of things that we're not going to be scared of right at the the outset. We won't fear if the earth gives way. That sounds pretty dramatic. That sounds like an earthquake. It sounds like a poetic description of an earthquake. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. In other words, if the earthquake is so severe that the most permanent thing we can think of, the mountains, even if they're destroyed, we're not going to be scared. Though its waters roar, which means boil. Have you ever seen boiling water like the the sea when it gets really angry? That would be a terrifying thing. Though its waters boil and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Again, that's earthquake imagery. So people who know God, as he's described in verse 1, refuge, strength, very present help, won't be scared even when the elements are moved. Now that word moved is is an important one. Uh, We're going to come back to that in a moment. But what's happening in those verses there is the undoing of creation. Do you remember the creation story? How God separated the land from the sea? This is the land going back into the sea. It's undoing creation. It's returning the world to chaos. And yet the psalmist says, even with that, because God is our refuge and strength and very help in trouble, very present help in trouble, we're not going to be fearful. How do you think you'd go? Your human nature does come into play. We're going to think a bit more of that that in a moment. But but when people know that God is their refuge and strength, the outside safety, the inside power, and a very present help in time of trouble, well, what's worse than the world falling apart? Not much, yet we're not going to give in to fear. Right. Verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. Now what's going on here is the river is in stark contrast to the sea. The Israelites were scared of the sea. They weren't maritime people. They didn't go sailing, apart from fishing. They didn't didn't go and explore foreign lands and things like that. Uh, And so we've got this contrast of the sea, which is chaos and which destroys things, and this calm, peaceful river. There is a river. And what does the river do? Its streams make glad the city of God. So this is a river that brings gladness. Now, what's the city of God? Come on, what's the city of God? Jerusalem, Jerusalem right? So this is the city which is just we've just read about in Second Kings as being under siege. And if this is if this historical reconstruction is right and this psalm was written in response to God saving Jerusalem they've had a very nasty experience of of a very close thing in warfare and one of the things that they're now able to say is there's a river here that makes this city glad it gladdens the heart of the people who live in the habitation of the most high verse 5 amplifies this God is in the midst of her she shall not be moved Now, what was moved up in verse 2? The mountains. So the mountains might move. They might be destroyed in the earthquake. But there's one thing that will be saved, and that's the city of God, because the city of God is not going to be moved. Why not? Because God will help her. Now, we already know about that, because God is a very present help. When's he going to help her? When the morning dawns. Now, in the authorised version, that's translated, uh, he will help her, and that right speedily. So he's going to come first thing. 
It's another way of saying he's a very present help. So there's a contrast now. We've seen mountains in the sea that are boiling and raging and being destroyed. We've seen the peace that is the, and gladness that's in the city of God. But in six, verse 6, the nations rage. The kingdoms totter. Now, that's interesting because in the original Hebrew text, the word for rage there is the same as the word roar in verse 3. The waters are boiling. The, the waters are raging. Have you ever heard about a raging sea? Like a sea that just looks like it's angry? Well, the nations are like the chaotic sea. And the kingdoms, well, that word there is the same as the one for the mountains being moved. The kingdoms are not just tottering. The kingdoms are falling like the mountains did. Why is that? Well, God utters his voice and the earth melts. And so there's a chorus in the end of verse 7, which reappears at the end of the whole psalm. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And there's a little word silah, which is probably a musical term. We're not really sure what it means, but it's probably a musical term. Maybe it means take a little pause here and we'll have a little flute solo or something like that. I don't know, but, uh, but it's, a little, it's a, a musical term. The Lord of hosts is with us. When we read about the Lord of hosts, that means Yahweh, who is in charge of heaven's armies. Right? 185,000 Assyrians? No problem. Who's on our side? The God who is in control of heaven's armies. So we've got this contrast of raging sea and a beautiful calm river that makes glad the city where God's people live. We've got raging nations who are taken care of by the God who is in control of heaven's armies. And so we get down to verse 8. Now we've had the proposition... God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble, therefore we will not fear. That's what, we, that's what we're told. Now here is the necessary response to that proposition. Come, behold the works of the Lord. Now that means come and have a look. Come and see for yourself what is possible for Yahweh, how he has brought desolations on the earth. So who's responsible for the earthquake? He is. It's all in his hand. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. Well, has he done that? Yes, he has. He put a stop to the Assyrian campaign right at the walls. The the people inside couldn't have defended themselves. Only God could put a stop to that. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. When the people got up in the morning from Jerusalem, they looked out and they said, look what's happened. There's all this war baggage just left behind because they couldn't put up a fight against Yahweh when he broke out against them. And that's where the motto of the psalm comes in, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And the chorus comes again, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now, if you go into 2024 with the confidence that God goes with you, how much fear will you be able to sustain? Who's with you? The the God of heaven's armies. That's who's with you. Cost of living crisis, international conflict, deeply divided nation, friends that don't like you because of what you believe. The Lord of hosts is with you. The God of Jacob is your fortress. 
That's the confidence you can go into this new year with. So, when it says here that he makes wars cease, well, he has make wars, made wars cease, so you might be wondering, well, why doesn't he still make wars cease? And that's a good question, because there's plenty of them around. How many people have prayed that these wars will come to an end? I have, and they're still going. So does, does God still make wars cease? Well, notice that the, the psalmist says that he makes war cease. Yes, he's done that. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. But verse 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. Well, when will God be exalted among the nations and throughout the whole world? When will that be? It must be something in the future. Now Jesus said in Matthew 24, he said, wars and rumours of wars, they're always going to be around. So until Jesus, the Prince of Peace, returns, you can count on it that wars are going to continue. It doesn't mean to stop praying that, that this will come to an end, but it means we should also keep praying, come Lord Jesus. That's a, a genuine Bible prayer, come Lord Jesus. And so we, there's, there's three questions that we could we could ask what does this be still mean who's it addressed to i think it might be addressed to both sides of the battle people inside jerusalem and outside there's a very real sense in that we, we can understand be still to mean stop it's not a chill out verse this is god speaking to the nation saying just stop fighting desist I used to work with a fella at Warrigal High School. He was the, uh, the, one of the grounds and maintenance staff and he made this little prong for himself to pick up the rubbish that the kids had left behind. And it was a, there was a stick about a metre long and he had his nail in the end of it. And so he had a bag round his neck and he would go along picking up chip wrappers and putting them in his bag. Like this. That was Jim. So there was this area between the high school and the tech school and the high school had its lunchtime and then the tech school had its lunchtime. It was a staggered situation, right, so that the high and the tech couldn't meet in the middle and come to blows, which sometimes used to happen, right? So it was the tech school lunchtime, but Jim was out there picking up the high school mess with his prong and his nail, putting it in the bag. And the tech boys were out kicking the footy around and Jim got the feeling that they were kicking the ball at him because the ball kept landing very close to Jim. So he was going along with his prong, putting the rubbish in, and it happened again. And so he says, desist, fellas. He goes on with his job, and it happened again. He said, desist, fellas. And it happened again. And he put the prong through the ball and went to the boys and said, I said, desist, fellas. Now, do you know what desist means? It's an old-fashioned word, but I, it's one of my favourites. It means stop. God's saying to the nations, stop. And he's putting a, a nail through their ball. He's saying, I'm going to stop you. This game won't go on. That's what he's saying to the nations. And one day, we have it as a guarantee from God's word that wars will cease. We can see it here. They will. And God will be exalted among the nations and he will be exalted throughout the earth because he's going to prong, put a prong in all of the rebellion that, that is directed towards him. Desist, fellas. 
But I think it's probably also directed at God's people inside the walls. Stop, desist your fear. Trust in me. Doesn't mean the problem is going to necessarily go away, but God's saying in the midst of problems, if you know me, I'm your refuge, I'm your strength, I'm your very present help who will turn up when the morning dawns. Now, is that enough? Is that enough? I think it is. So what the confidence that we go into the new year is, no matter what happens, the earth could melt, there could be wars, but we've got a God who has a program that will not be thwarted because he says to his enemies, stop, desist, and he will be exalted one day. Now, the challenge is that that, that doesn't mean that nothing bad's ever going to happen or that it's not going to come close to us. God did put a stop to the Assyrian conquest, but only about 150 years later, Jerusalem was destroyed. Now, the thing is this. The people in Jerusalem probably read Psalm 46 and said, no worries, not a problem. God's going to look after it. God's living here. We've got the temple. You see this in the prophets. They thought they were, they were falsely confident. And so they they stopped living obediently. And so God let them be punished by the Babylonians too. But I think we can find the deepest solution to the problem when we look at Jesus. You see, Jesus is the one who fills up the meaning of the Old Testament. When we talk about Jesus being the fulfilment, what that means is he fills up the meaning of the Old Testament in a way that helps us to understand it. There's a bit of a problem with that river because there is no river in Jerusalem. Did you know that? Well, what's this river that makes glad the city of God? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm going to give you the best of my attempt, my best ability uh, to answer it. Go back and have a look at Psalm 36. Psalm 36. What is this river? Psalm 36, verses 8 and 9. We're told there that the children of mankind feast on the abundance of your house and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. I think the river is a poetic way of saying God. Who's the, what, what's the river in Psalm 36? With you is the fountain of life. We drink from the river of your delights. Now if you want to quickly turn over to Isaiah 33, I'll read it quickly, but it's Isaiah 33, 21. I've got all the references on the back of the, uh, the newsletter. But in Isaiah 33, verse 21, we're told there that Yahweh in majesty will be for us a place of broad rivers and streams. Yahweh will be a river. What is the river? I think it's the nourishing presence of God in the city. Right? Now, where's Jerusalem? Well, yes, there's still a physical Jerusalem. But according to the New Testament, Jerusalem is now, or Mount Zion, is now in heaven. It's a spiritual reality. So how can this psalm apply to us? Well, the Old Testament finds its ultimate meaning. It's filled up in Jesus. So what does Jesus say? Across to John 7. Turn across to John 7. So the reason that Jerusalem is secure, according to Psalm 46, is because there's a river there that gladdens it, and it's the city where God lives. So where now does God live among his people? Well, in John chapter 7, verses 37 to 39... 
We read there that Jesus visited Jerusalem and on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. What's the river in Jerusalem? I think it's the, it's the nourishing presence of God which is available to us through God's Holy Spirit. Where does God live now? There's no temple. Where does God live now? In you and in me and in us as the church. So what did Jesus say? Where two or three are gathered together, I'm in the midst. What did he say as he was leaving earth for heaven again? He said, I will be with you always. Is Jesus with you? Well, who's Jesus? He's Yahweh in the flesh. When you read the promise of Psalm 46, it's become yours in Jesus. Can you face this year with confidence? Can you face this year knowing that God is your refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble? Yes, you can. So stop. Peace. That's what Jesus said to the storm. He said, peace be still, and it was. So that, that word um, that we, be, we began the psalm with, uh, verse 10, be still and know that I am God, is a word to the nations, desist, quit your fighting, but it's a word to God's people, quit your worrying. Because you see, God is in us, he's with us, He's our refuge and our fortress and he's for us. He's on our side through Jesus. All of those things are true. So this is not a peace, chill out verse. This is a verse that says stop your fighting and it says to frightened believers stop your worrying because you have the Lord of hosts on your side who's become flesh in the Lord Jesus. That's a pretty powerful combination. Do we believe it? Are we going to go out from here and act like we believe it, right? Because life can be frightening. But this is why you've got to fortify your approach to life with faith. It may not come as a reflex first time, but that's why you've got to fall back on what you actually say you believe. So the next time you're feeling frightened, ask what it is that's frightening you. And remember that even if the world falls apart, God will be with you. Even if... A nation does invade, God will be with you because he will be exalted in the earth and nothing can stop that. So believe in God and go out from here resolved not to be fearful. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we do face uh, many challenges in this world. there's, There's all sorts of things that at a human level could dismay us or make us frightened. Please forgive us for when we give in to doubt and fear. But I pray that you would equip us to face these challenges, equip us and fortify us, strengthen us with your word. We thank you that you are our refuge. We thank you that you are our strength. We thank you that you are near whenever we call on you. Uh, And so I pray that you would help us to make use of these things. And so everything that's causing us difficulty and grief now, Father, we submit that to you. And we pray that the peace that passes understanding would be ours in full measure. We pray that you would help us to face the challenges of this this new year in faith. Faith in the Lord Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us. And we pray that uh, as we live that way, that our lives would commend the gospel to others around us. 
And we pray that others would come to this same knowledge and this same faith. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.